favorite place in the world. Always good to be with Brother Wade. He is one of my favorite people in the world, too. He and I are buddies. And I want to encourage you to get this book. Read it. If you don't agree with it, repent. <laughs> We're kind of sending this out as a, at least I am kind of sending this out as a flag. Because I'm writing one, too. And I probably go further, actually, than Wade in some areas. I, I, I actually venture out into the Israel stuff a little bit. And uh, if, uh, if he don't get killed for this one, I'm going to publish mine. <laughs> uh, no, it's really good. It's, it's, uh, for those of you who may think dealing with these issues are just you know, people dealing in the unnecessary controversial... Uh, it's necessary. Uh, last few years, I've stood by the graveside of too many 20-something-year-olds who had taken their life because they had concluded that it wasn't worth living. And some of them, in fact, all the ones I'm talking about were church members. Hopefully, they were Christians. But you know what? What bothers me is the world told them that life didn't mean anything, told them that basically they were a composite of time plus slime. It's hard to believe you're worth anything if that's your understanding of where you came from. And the world is teaching that, but you know what bothered me is when they came to church, the church didn't give them any hope either. The church basically said, yeah, it's bad and it's going to get worse and your only hope is getting out of here. So their conclusion was, if that's the big deal, why don't I just go ahead and get out now? And so they saw no sense in it. So it's worth the controversy to try to deal with some of the uh, issues that have caused us to live in that hopelessness. And so I want to encourage you to get that. I'm, I'm taking a bunch of them home with me and handing them out and requiring people to read it. Those that I can require, which is very few. So I'm only taking two home. No, that's not true. I'm taking one to all the pastors that I uh, have a relationship with. and Sometimes I recommend them books, and sometimes I assign them books. And uh, this is an assignment. Well, I bring you greetings from my lovely wife. She wishes she could be here. She always enjoys being with you. She's, she's doing well. Just praising God every day she gets to be my wife. Must have been something that coffee I drank this morning. It's uh, kind of got me delusional. So, seriously, she she does send her regards to you, and uh, I'm glad to be with you. Take your Bible and turn with me to Second Corinthians. Chapter five. It's always a, a cruel thing to do with, uh, to read a text and, and start off with the word therefore, because when you're reading a therefore, you're getting a conclusion based on the truth that's been previously presented. But uh, 
this is not an exegetical text that I want to deal with this morning, but rather a concept, and, and the concept is here. So I, I will start with verse 17 and try to carry us on from there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That, that's referring to uh, the old being, the old system of the old covenants, the Old Testament. The new being the whole new creation that God had promised for eons before. That age of the eschaton, the age when God would fulfill his promises and we would live in the day of the glory of the Lord. And, and he says that has happened. But uh, there's a whole concept there I want, I want to deal with. And I want to frame it in, the, uh, in, in this way. I'd have to say most of the people that I get to know well enough that they open their heart a little to me, all of them cry out of a same kind of pain. And that pain would be a sense of disqualification. A sense of, I wish I could start over. Uh, they're too many content to live. Well, they're not content, but they don't know what else to do. They're content to live in a, the land of the disqualified. Uh, we preach these great sermons about the inheritance that we have in the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit living in us and the fact that we are indwelt by the resurrected life of Christ, that, that Jesus has Himself personally said to all disciples, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, you can ask the Father in my name and you can get it. And these signs will follow those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will... They will pray for the sick and they'll get well. All of these miraculous things that he promised. And, and we hear all of that, but it sounds too idealistic. It sounds beyond our reach. We don't think we could live there. And so we re resign ourselves to living in the land of the disqualified. For, for some reason, the devil, I suppose we can blame it on him, has come along and whispered into our ear and said, well, that's true. If you, if you had not done what you've done, that could be your life. You could live in that kind of victory. You could get up in the morning and enjoy the majesty of God. And you could know that God loves you as much as He loves His only begotten Son and that, that He wants to lavish on you His blessings. But the fact is, you're dirty. You're defiled. You're disqualified. You've messed up. You, you're, you're not. You're not a beneficiary of this kind of inheritance. And so we live there. And we're content to live there. And, and so we, we wait for some day to come along when something will fix it. Some have concluded that the only way to get it fixed is to blow it up. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot. And years ago, I would have said this wasn't true. But you know what? I believe the great majority of the people sitting in this church this morning have considered suicide. Maybe you didn't, you know, go out and get the gun and get it loaded, but I mean, you thought, what if I weren't here? 
Wouldn't, wouldn't the folks be better off? My wife would be better off. Kids would be better off. Community would be better off. If, and then you'd kick it out of your mind. Go, what am I thinking? But it, it comes up every once in a while. Do you know what that is? That, that, is a, that is a subconscious belief that the way you deal with evil is by eliminating it, judging it. And since you're evil, you're going to get eliminated. And particularly if you believe that by doing that, you could escape the pain. Am I on? Y'all are looking so solemn. Are y'all hearing me? Uh, I get I get wage tapes, and, and I, I can't preach that fast. So you're going to have to slow down. <laughs> I know I'm not giving you near enough to to keep you alert, but I can't go that fast. So, Wade gives more stuff in a short period of time than anybody I've ever heard. Uh, I can take one of his messages and preach on it a year. It's all good, so, but I can't do that. So I know you should be trying, so you're going to have to come back to my level, okay? I just, if you get one thing this morning, that'll be good. Be more than you had when you came, right? Uh, so any, anyway, how many of you be honest enough to say, I wish I could start over? The land of beginning again. Well, I, I want to take the story of Noah. And by the way, I would, this, was, this uh, concept, this insight was spurred in my heart by a book that Brother Wade sent me. He sent me a book not long ago and said, this is a great book, and I read it. And uh, it was out of that book that uh, I began to see something about Noah that encouraged me. So, uh, let, let's read a little bit about Noah. Do you know the story of Noah? How many of you know who Noah is. He's the one who built the ark, not Joan. Uh, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark by the, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So that's just a little summary of what happened with Noah. Now Hebrews 11 is, uh, we call it the hall of faith, hall of fame, faith. But, but actually it's, it's God kind of telling his story through the actors that he has used in history. And... Uh, Noah played a part. Now, now, what part of the story did Noah play, and what does it say to us? Is basically what I want us to say today. Uh, I want us to look at today. Uh, I see in the in the story of Noah the triumph of mercy over judgment, and. Whether you know it or not, that's what you want. 
Uh, you want the triumph of mercy over judgment. It is that fear of judgment that paralyzes us, that fear of being exposed, that fear of finally God getting enough. My mother used to say to me when I was a little bit rambunctious or whatever, she'd say to me, I've had just about enough. And I knew not to ever go past just about. And I think many of us, even Christians, live with the idea that God constantly says, I've had just about enough. And we're afraid to do anything else because we're afraid we'll pass beyond just about. And that one of these days, he's going to drop the hammer and it's all going to be over. And and so we're looking for, for the hammer to drop. It could be the war in Iraq. It could be... Another challenger falling. It could be a disease that breaks out that we cannot find a solution to. It could be an AIDS epidemic. And so we're looking for it. And so people manipulate us by writing books and getting on television and talking about the end of everything and destruction coming. And, And we get the idea that the only way God could come up with fixing the earth is by destroying it. That is my considered opinion. That the reason God did what he did with Noah and had it recorded in the book was so that all of history would know that you can't get rid of of evil by destroying it externally. It's not, not the way to do it. And yet there's something in all of us that thinks that's true. That's why we keep thinking God will just burn it up. That'll fix it. No, he's already done that. He took a world gone bad because Adam and Eve had sinned and that sin had corrupted and corrupted and corrupted until the whole earth was filled with corruption. And God looked at it and said, okay, let's, uh, let's have a solution here. And so God destroyed it. But he found a righteous man and his family and said, I'll save them and put them in an ark, let them build an ark. Took them near, uh, what, 120 years? It's a big boat. Uh, and, and, and put a remnant in that and, and saved them. But destroyed everything else. Why? I think he wanted to go down in history to let everybody know, hey, that's not how you fix stuff. You don't fix things by just wiping it out. Now, why do you keep on looking for him to wipe it out? Why do you think he wants to wipe you out? God's into redemption. The story of Noah is not just he destroyed the earth. The story of Noah is, I'll never do it again. Why? It doesn't work. He destroyed the whole earth, saved Noah. How long was it before Babel? We got another world filled with corruption. So, so God is... God's not up there wringing his hands and scratching his head and going, what can you... I'm just going to blow it up. No, he's got a much better plan. His story is not about putting some people down and see how this bunch is going to do. Oh, wipe that out. Let's start with another bunch. Nope, wipe them out. What about it? Wipe them out. That's not how he does it. He's in a redemption. That, that's the story of Noah. Turn to Genesis. We'll just pick up some little snippets here of 
of the story, Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. For I'm sorry I made them. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Okay, let, let me give you five or six points here, okay? Not as rapidly as you're used to getting them, but let me give them to you. Grace exposes the ineffectiveness of external judgment as God's final act. I've already said that to you, but I, I know some of you are note takers. You're used to listening to someone who gives you notes. Grace exposes the ineffectiveness of external judgment as a final act. You see, I, I would say most folk, wouldn't you agree with this? Most folk believe that the final act of history is going to be wiped out. What if it's not? It wasn't in that time, and, and, and the world... The world's not as bad now as it was in Noah's day. I mean, he couldn't find but one. I believe God could find more than one today. So we are, oh, so the world's worse than it's ever been. No, it ain't. Excuse my grammar. And when, if God wouldn't wipe it out totally so that there was no starting over in that day, he does, he, he, that's not his final act. God's story is not about wipe out. Amen. Just get that down. And the story of God reveals the heart of God. So when you're reading the big story through the Bible, you'll find the heart of God. It's all about God, y'all. It's not about moralistic lessons that you learn and principles that you gain and little lessons to get here and little lessons to get there. It's about God. So when you read about Noah, your question is, what's Noah telling me about God? Because it's God that I want to meet. Knowledge puffs up, but love is, is what does the trick. And only when I know God am I going to know love. So, so I'm not looking for a little lesson in Noah. I'm looking for God Amen. in Noah. And what I see in this story is a good God who said, Hey, I want to show the whole world forever that you don't get rid of evil just by judging it externally. You've got to deal with the real problem. And the real problem was sin in man's heart. And so God said, I, I can start over. And, and he does, and it takes him a good long time. Second point. Here, here's, here's really good. God's uh, grace, excuse me, start with, grace saves by involving us in God's plan. See, we, we've got such a weird concept of salvation. It's like, okay, I want to be saved. What do you mean saved? Well, man, I don't want to go to hell. I know it. That's not bad. That's not good. It'd be bad to go there. I just want to be saved. Why? Because I don't want to go to hell, I told you. No, I mean like, why else? What do you mean, why else? 
Why do you want to be saved? Are you listening to me? I don't want to go to hell. Is that all? See, God didn't just save Noah so Noah could be saved. God saved Noah so he could start over with a whole new world. Are you listening in the big picture now? God said, I got a plan. He had that plan before the foundation of the earth. Had it for eternity. What was the plan? The plan was to have a people one day on the earth who were absolutely enamored with the Son, Jesus, and who lived the glorious life of Jesus on the earth. That was his plan. All along, God the Father has been intending on magnifying the Son. That's been in his heart for eternity. He loved the Son so much and got such delight in the Son and saw the majesty of the Son and got such fulfillment of fellowship with the Son that he said, I'm going to create some folk who can enjoy the Son as much as I, the Father, do. And so he created man, but man sinned. And so he said, hey, that doesn't stop my plan. Because that's, in fact, that just helps my plan because now they're, not, they're going to get to see that he's a merciful Son. They're going to get to see a depth of mercy they didn't know possible until they'd sinned. So that fits into the plan. Everything that happens in his plan is to magnify Jesus. By the way, everything that happens in your life is God making an opportunity for Jesus to be more precious to you. And so Jesus doesn't, excuse me, God doesn't save us just so we can be saved. He saves us because there's a part to play in the plan. Noah was a player in God's drama. You know, I used to think that the book, you know, the book we all talk about, the one that will be opened when we all stand before God, the book. The one, you know, that everybody says St. Peter is in charge of. And we got all these jokes and stories about when you die, you go up to the pearly gates and there's St. Peter and he's got the book. And, he, and you go up and identify yourself, you know, like he wouldn't know. You go, uh, hi, I'm, uh, I'm uh, Dudley Hall, John, John, John Dudley Hall from uh, uh, Texas, grew up in uh, Alabama. I know Wade Trimmer. Uh, and I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> and the picture I've always had is that book is a ledger, you know, saved, lost. And go, uh, Dudley Hall, he goes, uh, what? Uh, Dudley Hall, H-A-L-L. He goes, oh, if he did that, your heart would just stop. He went back over. He's like, oh, my God. He goes, oh, there you are. You go, oh, oh, thank God. I'm not so sure that's the book. I'm not sure the book is not a play. And when you go up, Peter looks and goes, your name? Dudley Hall. Let's see. So you lived in the 20th and 21st century. Hmm. 
you had a part to play in this drama. Let's see. Oh, yeah, there you are. Let's see. It's, you played in here with, uh, let's see, the cast was uh, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, Stephen, Dudley. Yeah, you're in here. He said, oh, you're dreaming. No, I think that's why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. It says, you've got this great cloud of witnesses. They're watching the rest of the play. They played their part. Now it's time to play our part. The reason God saves you is to put you in the play. Now listen to me. You're not going to believe this, but you ought to try. If you're saved... You are as, you're as vital to God's program and plan as was Noah. Turn to the person next to you and say, try to believe that. So we don't believe that. That's why we commit suicide. That's why we don't try to do any better. That's why, that's why we treat ourselves so poorly. That's why there's no dignity in our sense of who we are. It's like, I'm just another piece of flotsam on the big sea of the world. Nobody cares. I mean, if I live or die, it doesn't make any difference. My, my family can get along good without me. The church don't need me. I can come when I want to. I can come on Sunday. and it's, Everything's optional and it, it doesn't really matter. No! God saved you and put you in the plan. You are as valuable to his plan as was Noah. You women. You are as valuable to God's plan as was the Virgin Mary. That's why one day when one of the women said to Jesus, Blessed is the breast that gave you nourishment. And he said, No. Blessed is the one that does the will of my Father. Folk, oh, I my chills go up and down my spine. Folk, listen to me. You got to find out what your place is and do it. You're vital. You're important. History is going to record. I'm telling you. Books still been written. We don't need another Bible. I mean, we got everything included in here. But if the Bible was still being written down, thousands of years from now, they'd be reading your name in there. Because God's plan will continue to go on. His plan, of, his plan of redemption is still going to go on. And those of you who think it's going to end in the next few years, no, get over it. You say, what if you're wrong? I'm not wrong. But if I'm wrong, we won't be around to discuss it. But you can't bet on it. Don't bet on God wiping everything out. Don't bet on the end coming quickly. It's going to last for a while because God's plan will get done. Until the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. So, God saves us to engage us into His plan. 
said, I'm going to save Noah. Why? Well, he's a righteous man. Let's save him. Why? Well, just because he needs to be saved. No, he saved him to start over. So, so Noah, when the boat had been rocking out there for 40 days, and he finally gets on the ground. And uh, now think about this. Noah steps off the boat. It took a lot of faith to build a boat. It took a lot of faith to stay on that boat with all those animals. I mean, I don't think those animals slept that whole time. Their digestive systems were working. You know, we think about the little Noah up there in his cozy little boat. He was in a barn. No wonder he wanted to find some land. But think about when that boat hit the, hit the land there and the door opens and he steps out into a brand new world. I took a lot of faith to step off the boat. Oh, move it forward. Jesus is another Noah who started over. The old covenant system ended. The Jews had perverted the whole thing and didn't understand it at all and had turned the way to know God into a legalistic literalistic system and so it was wiped out but Jesus started a whole new race called a new creation and it does take a little faith to step out there and start enjoying it because you're in a whole new world you're not a world controlled by judgment and law you're in a world controlled by Jesus and love and you know what you got all kind of resources you got you got relationship with the Father. You have the name of Jesus. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got community of faith. I mean, we've got all kinds of wonderful stuff. Why do we want to go back and get in the cotton-picking ark? Get out in your new world and enjoy it. You've you got a part to play. There, there are vineyards to be planted. There, there's all kinds of stuff to happen. We, we get this idealized idea about the great saints. Oh, the perfect no. No, it wasn't... He was a man of like passions. I mean, after, after this miracle, he's the only man saved on the earth, he and his family. He gets drunk. You'd think a man of God could hold his liquor. Wouldn't you? He gets, he gets drunk and is uncovered and his son is all kind of stuff. You know, it's like he wasn't exactly perfect. But he was integral to God's plan. You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be engaged. His mercy forgive you your sin. But if you won't engage, if you won't get to be a part of it, if you won't find out the part you play and get into it, not a whole lot can help you. Oh, I, I, I think, I, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I, I think I told you when I was here, you know, Bill Gaither asked me to do a little quippet about heaven on his new CD. By the way, if you buy those things, get that one because I'm on it for three seconds. 
Betsy and I sat there one day. Betsy doesn't like Southern Gospel at all. I mean, she loves the Gaithers and the people, but she, she didn't grow up on Southern Gospel. I did, so I, some of it I like, even though most of the theology is horrible. The, the beat and the harmony and all, I like all that. So we sat there for two solid hours watching that video so we could see me. I mean, that's why we're watching. You know, it's like maybe after the next song, you know, maybe after the next song. Of course, I'm over there squalling about dying and going to heaven and all that stuff. Finally, I'm on there for three seconds. Anyway, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. But if there's any sadness, if there's any grief in, in heaven, it's going to be this. When you walk through that veil into, etern- into timeless eternity, you're going to see the part that was written for you in the play. And will you know if you played it or not? Uh, I, I just don't get, I just don't get it, but people don't want to live life, you know. Hey, Wade, quote that Shakespeare deal out. You quote, out, out, brief candle. Life is but a tale told by, by an idiot, full of sound and fury. Signifying nothing. That, that was by a pretty good poet, you know. Hamlet is the source of that. I found this quote by George Bernard Shaw that I, I don't know that he knew the Lord, but I like his attitude toward life a little bit better than Hamlet version. Listen to this. This is a true joy in life, being used for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force for good instead of a feverish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community as long as I live. It is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the more I give, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's sort of a splendid torch, which I must, which I must hold up for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generation. I don't know if he knew the Lord, but you know what? He had, had a better view of life than most Christians have. Hey, oh, point number three. Grace shares the secrets of God's plan with us. I, I love this about this story and about the nature of God. And God looks down, the earth is corrupt, and he said, I, it's, it's time for chapter two in my book here, my plan, and... Noah's going to get to pay a price. So I'm going to tell Noah what I'm going to do. Noah, listen to me. I'm going to talk to you. As a friend, talk to a friend. I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to wash this thing away, but I want, I'm going to save a remnant, and, and you're going to get to start a whole new creation, and you'll get to start a whole new world. You'll be a new Adam, as it were, and you'll be prefiguring one who will come to you later who will start the real new creation that will fulfill my plan. And so I want you to build a boat. And nobody, they're going to laugh at you because it hadn't rained yet. But there's one of these days there's going to come rain. That's water falling from the sky, Noah. And, uh, 
and I want you to build this boat, and you'll take your family and all these animals in it and everything, and uh, then you will save this family, and you'll start over, and you'll do this thing, and then one of these days, the, the one that you're prefiguring, uh, my son will come on the earth and he'll start the last new creation that will ultimately be the church of the living God who, who permeates the whole earth and as my glory. Now, that's how you fit into that deal. So build a boat. That's why I know it's out there for 120 years and building this boat. And people go, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. What's a boat? What's what I'm building? Why are you doing it? Well, because it's going to flood. What's a flood? That's lots of water on the ground. Where's it going to come from? It's going to fall out of the sky. Oh, right. See, up to then, it hadn't been any rain. You mean like... Yeah. Uh-huh. You know why he was able to do that for 120 years? He knew the story. The secret had been shared with him. Later on, another player in the story, Abraham... Abraham, God says, uh, hey, pick up your stuff. I want you to go to a land I'll show you on the way. Uh, okay. Now, we don't know all that God shared with Abraham, but we know enough that Jesus said of him later that Abraham saw his day and was glad. So somewhere along in the discussion between Abraham and God, God explained to them that Abraham wasn't the last player in the play, that he was part of the story, but he was prefiguring one who was going to come later on, and he saw the day of Jesus. He saw it. That, that's why I think he was able to take his son. When God said, to, uh, hey, get, get your son Isaac, and let's go up on the hill, and uh, I want you to sacrifice him to him. I want you to cut him in two and burn him, and burn him to ashes. And Abraham said, okay, Isaac, let's go. Get you some wood, son, let's go. Why? He knew the story. Now, he didn't know exactly how it was going to play out. See, that's part of the deal. God leaves enough mystery in there that you have to live by faith. But he gives you enough explanation to create purpose and destiny and passion in your life. And then God said at one point, you know, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm, not, it's just, it's just, it's, I'm going to destroy it. But I'm not going to do that without talking to my buddy Abraham. God shares his secrets with those who are parts of the play. At least he shares enough with you that you can live by faith. He comes along and he, he, he does the same thing with, uh, you know, Jesus says to the disciples, uh, the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but the children do and, and the friends do. Excuse me, the friends do and you're my friends. And so here, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Now, they, they didn't get it, but he told them. Later on, after it happened, they went, oh, Oh, he was telling us all the time. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it. We thought he was talking about that brick one over there, that rock one. Oh, he did explain it. He told us the story. We just didn't have eyes to see it. Then Paul comes along in Ephesians and said, hey, let me tell you about the mystery that was hidden all through the Old Testament. But now the mystery was when God said to Abraham, I am going to bless your seed and make you a blessing to all the nations. They thought he was talking about natural Israel. But really, he was always talking about the singular seed, Jesus, who starts the new creation, the church, to live on the earth forever. That's the story. What? Duh. So... God shares the secret. You, you don't have to live 
in Old Testament ignorance if you'll be willing to look with New Testament eyes and to see that God has started the, the whole new creation. Well, anyway. Number four. Grace sees all commands as extensions of life. I, I preached on that here before, so I won't belabor the point. But when God said to Noah, build the ark, instead of that being a requirement to judge his obedience and to be a law above his head, so that if he didn't, God could zap him, Noah saw that command as an extension and a promise. It's like, build the ark. Why? Because I am going to do something wonderful with it. Wouldn't it be great if we could get where God's commands were no longer laborious to us? We didn't see them as requirements above our head. We didn't see them as legalistic things to test our obedience. But every time God commanded something, we saw it as a miracle in the making. Like the man with a withered hand and God said, stretch forth your hand. Don't be telling me what to do. You arbitrary God who just gets a kick out of telling folks what to do. You ego-controlled God who, who wants people to bow at his feet and do everything he said. Why are you telling me what to do? Uh, I was planning on healing your arm. Stretch forth your arm. Oh. Oh! That's good. Lazarus, come forth. Are you mocking me? You know I can't come forth. I'm dead. Come forth. Peter, walk. You, you talking about me walk on the water? Peter walked and got to experience a miracle. So, so the Lord says to us things like this. Forgive if a man sins against you and says, you confront him and he says, I repent. And if he does it seven times in one day, forgive him seven times. We're going, huh? One is bad enough. Two is incredulous. Three, I ain't believing a word he says. He comes to me seven times in one day and says, I for, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't believe him and I ain't going to forgive him. So... We don't forgive and we die. You know, my, de my definition, I got it from somebody else, but my definition of bitterness or unforgiveness is you drink poison hoping somebody else dies. You don't forgive, you're the one that pays. They don't. I mean, I know people today who are having a blast. I mean, they're out just living it up, having a wonderful time, and their parents at home are dying with all kinds of diseases because their parents never forgave their kids. Kids don't even know it. They're just having a blast. Parents are dying inside. Won't forgive. I ain't forgiving you. That's smart. So, so Jesus says, hey, I'd like to set you free from your arthritis and your bitterness and your gripey ways and your, and your pessimistic outlook. I'd like to set you free from all of that. Uh, so here's some life for you. Forgive. Don't tell me what to do. He's offering you life, folks. Here's one that we all we, we get our hackles up about. Submit yourselves. <laughs> Just who do you think you are telling me to submit? I am the Lord of life telling you how to be free. 
You're all bound up in yourself. You're all locked up in all your bad concepts and your narrow-mindedness. I'm going to show you how to really enjoy life. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Love your wife like Christ of the church. You in the church, obey those in authority over you. He picked the worst word in the Greek language. I'm telling you. It's the most offensive word you can pick. He picked the word obey. We don't like it. I ain't obeying nothing. Okay? Go on, you stupid, arrogant, contrary, complaining, suffering, sick way then. Because grace offers you life through commands. Now, we ever get that, you'll be digging in here looking for commands. Let me find another command. Where's it? Did he tell me something to do in here? Because everything he commands you to do, he promises to fulfill in you. Build the ark. Ark, what is it? How am I going to, I don't even have a saw. Build the ark. Okay. Must mean you've got some stuff I don't, hadn't seen before. That's right. When God commanded him to build the ark, he provided everything to build the ark. Instructions, equipment, everything. Okay. Number five. Grace enters covenant. You see, God made a covenant with, a, with a Noah. Grace always works by covenant, by the way. That's what I'm saying. And God made a covenant with Noah. You know what he said? Let's, look, let's go back to Genesis. We're, we're close to done. I don't know if you're enjoying this, but I am, and I appreciate you put, putting up with it while I enjoy it. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. You know what God said? He made a covenant with the earth, made a covenant with Noah, made a covenant with every living thing. He said, I won't destroy it again this way. And he put into action something that would maintain the earth until he could get done his redemptive plan. Do you see that? So why are you saying... That destruction is not imminent because God said, I'm going to keep everything running until I get done what I want to get done. He hadn't got it done yet. And then he gives a sign. Look at chapter 9, verse uh, 12. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Philip Greenslade said that the bow was like, I mean the, uh, the uh, rainbow was a reminder to God. It's the shape of an upturned uh, bow that you'd shoot the arrow. 
And, and it's there to remind God that he is not the warrior to destroy the earth. That he is committed to redeem it. So every time you see the rainbow, I'm sorry it's starting to mean all kind of crazy political things, but every time you see a rainbow, no, God, God's going to finish his job. God's not mad. He's already turned his bow upside down. And there's no error in it. That's right. It's an empty bow. He already shot his bow. What bow did he shoot? He shot the arrow of Jesus taking all of our sins upon us, upon him. And the bow is empty. Somebody ought to shout. Well, the, the real climax of the story is this. All the players in the Old Testament story point up to the star of the play, who is Jesus. Because Jesus is the new Adam who starts over. He's the new Noah who starts over. He's the new Abraham who starts over. He's the Moses who gives the final law, which is the law of love. Jesus is the one who, who has done it all. And so it, it leaves us all at the story as, as partners and as participants in the play, but it leaves us with a focus on Jesus Christ. Absolutely consumed with Him. Yes. Now, now, let, let me tell you what it's all about. The whole story, everything God's ever done, from the first to the last, is so that all of us could regal in who Jesus is. That means that every day of our life ought to be calendared and prioritized around finding out who He is for us today. Doesn't it make you sad to hear people give their testimony and go, Oh, let me tell you my testimony. 1963, I met Jesus my Savior. And that's all you know about Him? You don't know His death. You don't know His mercy. You don't know His love. You don't know about His inheritance. You don't know the secrets that He wants to share with you. You, you don't know about that, those gifts that He's put inside of your spirit that He wants to bring forth. You, you don't know the secrets about others He wants to tell you so that you can be a part of His redemptive plan. You don't know all those stuff yet? Come on. There's a treasure bag there. There's treasure in, in Him. And the whole thing has been about, about Him. So... What's the conclusion? Let me just make them quickly. Stop looking for wipeout. Just quit it. Secondly, find your part. You say, well, I, they, they quit giving those tests down at the church. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Hey, once you've taken one, you've taken enough tests. Let me tell you how to find out your part. Just start giving your life away everywhere you can. And then your brothers and sisters will come up to you and go... You know, that's not your best place there. But I saw you doing this over here, and that was real good. Do that. Major on your strengths, on your, not your fleshy strengths, but on your... Hey, I tell you why we don't know our place. We don't do enough to find out. You know, to be a part in the play, you have to go and read. How many of you was a part of some play in school, high school, somewhere along? You've been a part of some play? You have to go and they check you out. They go, okay, Dudley, read for this part. So I read and they go, mm, no. <laughs> I, I was in two or three plays in, in high school. You know, one of them was uh, Abraham Lincoln. And so I was tall and all that kind of stuff. I said, read for Abraham Lincoln. So I read for it and they went, thank you very much. 
which meant you didn't get it. So I read from another one, and they said, that's you right there. That is your character, right? You play that one. Let me tell you how to find your play, place. You need to go do some exhibitions. You need to start doing stuff. Try it all. Just start here. Share your faith with a lost person. Pray for a sick person. If you see somebody even looks like it got a demon, cast it out. Intercede. I'll tell you something else you could do. In the New Testament, there are 31 reciprocal commands. Those are things we're supposed to do for each other, like exhort one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another, teach one another, love one another. All those things. Try every one of them. Just try them. Just try them. Say, Lord, I see one right here that says encourage one another. Today, I need somebody to encourage. Could you show me somebody that needs encouraging today? And just go do it. Say, I don't know how. Go give it a try. I'm saying, just practice some stuff. And you know what happened? You'll find that the power of God flows through a few of those, and you go, oh, this is my specialty over here. You know, instead of waiting for somebody to go, hey, you, you're the prophet. Stand up. Well, it's not going to happen like that. Okay. Find your part. Third, uh, thirdly, fulfill your call. Just do it. That's what I was just talking about. Just do it. Just go do it. Nike's got it right. Put one of those little checks on your forehead. Do it. <laughs> just go do it. You say, I, I tell you what, I just want to see somebody raised from the dead. Have you ever prayed over a dead person? No. Well, it probably ain't going to happen unless you do something. I'd start praying over some live ones who are close to death first. <laughs> but do it. And then the last thing I'd say is focus on a passionate relationship with Jesus. Uh, I, I, I wish I could say that more. I, I, that's my goal in life. You know, I told the men last night, I, shoot, I've already blown it on so many things. I, I ain't going to go down as a great husband or a great father or a great preacher or anything like that. But you know what? I, uh, I, I wouldn't mind going down as a great lover of Jesus. Amen. Nobody can stop me from that. Just great passion for Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad Noah came along? Yes. You ever thought about this? Had it been for Noah, you wouldn't be here. Let me remind you, your part is just as important as Noah's. Try to believe that today. Try to believe that. Okay, Father, I thank you that we can start over because uh, you started over. And you started over the new creation. And made us a part of it. And Noah played his part in his day. We're glad to read his story. But we want to play our part in our day. What are we supposed to do? So that in generations from now, folk can read that we too, like faith, even though we were imperfect, just like Noah, we did our job. And your plan kept on going to magnify your son. I pray that today, if there's a, there's a soul here who's living with uh, regret, a sense of disqualification, condemnation, defilement. I ask you, Lord, would you right now spur their heart to, to, to step out and believe something that it seems too good to be true. Let them believe that your forgiveness is available right now and that you're ready to insert them into your play 
And let them play the part that's as important as Noah. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.